Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of Kitchen Club is sponsored by Gosnell's Mead. Mead is a fermented honey drink believed to be the oldest alcoholic drink in the world. And Gosnells, which is brewed in Peckham, have made a modern, fresher, and less alcoholic version of mead that is gluten-free, sulfite-free, and made with only honey, water, and thyme. The honey that they use contains the nectar of 45 different species of flower, which is pretty cool, including red clover, forget-me-not, and also bramble. And an interesting little fact that mead was traditionally drunk by the bride and groom after their wedding to help with fertility, which I did not know and love hearing fun facts. That's where the word honeymoon comes from. Oh yeah. Wait, I've just realised that. Honeymoon. There you go. Gosnell's mission is to plant up London and help our lovely bees and pollinators survive. If you'd like to try Gosnell's mead for yourself, then you can use the code KITCHENCLUB for 15% off at gosnells.co.uk. Thank you so much, Gosnells, for sponsoring us. And welcome back to Kitchen Club with me, Sarah Malcolm, and my fab friend, Serena Lau. Kitchen Club's the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from around our kitchen table. Each week, we have a brilliant new guest, a new area of expertise to get stuck into, and a new recipe which is created using our guest's three favorite ingredients. Today's guest is Leanne Maskell. Leanne is a best-selling author of two books, The Model Manifesto and ADHD and A to Z. She's also a model, an ADHD coach, and a legal activist. She works with companies to help increase ADHD awareness and improve mental well-being in the workplace. We are so thrilled to have Leanne join us this week and speak about this very important and under-discussed topic. As always, if you enjoy the episode, please do subscribe, leave us a glowing review, share with your loved ones, and follow us over on Instagram at Kitchen Club Podcast, where you can find this week's delicious recipe. Here's Leanne Maskell on Kitchen Club. Hello, Leanne. Welcome to Kitchen Club. It's such a joy to have you. Thank you for having me. Very, very delighted to be here. Leanne, we're going to start off by talking about your recipe. Can you remember what the three favourite ingredients you gave us were? The chocolate, kale and coconut. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nice. Same. <laughs> they kind of change week to week. Is there any particular reason you chose those three? Well, I'm really addicted to chocolate and just kind of would eat chocolate every day. I do eat chocolate every day. Um, but if I could, I'd do that. Um, I just live off chocolate. And then coconut, I really like, like pina colada or something. Mm. Kind of reminds me of being on holiday and kale. I went on like, a yoga retreat last year and there was like a vegan chef there and she massaged this kale with olive oil and salt. And it's become my addiction. <laughs> like I used to really hate kale and I did not know that you could massage kale. And it's literally so amazing. So... You've just re-inspired me. I feel like I used to eat that loads as well, like massaged kale salad. And I haven't done it for ages, but it's so good. Mm, With like tamari and tahini and... Ooh, okay, great. Luncheons though. So 
you were challenging me by giving me a mix of sweet and savory ingredients, but I think I've done it. I think I've nailed it. If I may say so myself, (laughs) I have made you a veggie bean chili with crispy kale and coconut yogurt. So maybe it's a cheat. Maybe all your things are just like on top, but the cacao, the chocolate is in the chili, you know, like with Mexican food, when sometimes those sauces have chocolate in it. And I've always been really suspicious of it, but I tried it for you. And actually it was great because it gives the chili like a really deep, rich flavor. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. So we're going to send you the recipe back in the day, pre-COVID, oh. we could have actually cooked it for you. Yeah. I'm afraid you can't do that anymore. So I will oh. send you the recipe and you can think of us while you eat it yourself. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I will. I'll make it. Yeah. I, I used to live with, um, do you know Bosch? The cook? Uh-huh. Yeah. And they were making the vegan chili with chocolate all the time. It was a really good thing to do and like putting wine and stuff in it. it was, it's yeah. just the best. I actually had a chili last night with chocolate in it. Although my mum, my mum made it. I'm living with my parents for Leanne's benefit. I'm sure all of the listeners know that already. Um, and she realised today that she put she put salted caramel chocolate in it. Oh, oh my god, amazing! Is it nice? It tasted delicious. Yeah. So you know, some coconut in it, and you'll be fine. <laughs> I can't wait to, to try this recipe, Serena. It's oh, thank yeah. You. I just love a, a chili. I feel like it's always such a humble meal you know mm. like just comforting humble grounding just delish so we hope you enjoy it Leanne Thank that's you. cool that you used to live with the Bosch boys you must have eaten a lot of good vegan food yeah oh, it was amazing delicious because <laughs> they would make their recipes in the house they had the office there so it was amazing that was always like really interesting amazing food so oh, good so time of life yeah. Do you like cooking yourself or do you just like being cooked for? Oh, I do like cooking myself, but um, because I've got ADHD, stuff like cooking can be really... I'll either be making like a green cake or just made up bread. And like, you know, I don't really measure out the ingredients. I just guess them and say it can come out a bit weird. But then I will get times when I get quite inspired. But, but I've got a slow cooker. And that was quite life-changing. Um, I guess it is good for ADHD. <laughs> if you can't be bothered to measure out, the, oh, you have a cup. It looks like a cup. And check all the things in. And then you can kind of wash up after checking it all in and then eat it later on. And, and then have it in the fridge for like the whole week. So yeah, it's more of a kind of... <laughs> I do like cooking. I wish I could be more organized for cooking, but I think it's the cleaning, the buying the ingredients, remembering what the ingredients are, making them um, can be a bit not yeah. great in my brain I feel like a lot of people who um like nail cooking either people who can just like think of recipes really quickly like Serena or they're people who like okay Monday I'm gonna eat this Tuesday I'm gonna eat this which is a lot like to, to put a in lot your brain planning. at the start of the week yeah mm-hmm. it's a lot of planning and you don't know what you'll want to eat on Wednesday like when you go to a group dinner at a restaurant and they make you pre-order you're like yeah. how am I gonna know what I want exactly. I hate that Exactly. That is my brain. Like, what if I don't want that right now? Um, yeah. 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 And you've eaten your ingredients for the week. Exactly. Um, Leanne, we'd love to start this off by hearing a little bit about your journey. Um, it feels like you've had a big journey to get where you are today. That might be the case. That might not. I mean, you've, you've written so far to extremely successful and very helpful books and you're writing or have finished writing a third which is also extremely exciting um so we'd just love to start by knowing kind of your journey into where you are today um and yeah doing the work you're doing now Mm, thank you it sounds nice when you say it (laughs) for me it just feels like a big squirling scribble on the page (laughs) (laughs) I can explain to you that scribble um but I say I was modeling from the age of 13 and my mum got me into it and I lived in Cyprus but like my first jobs were for magazines I was published in like Vogue when I was 13 and it was a bit of a weird life growing up (laughs) doing this job that I guess on the outside is very glamorous and cool but like on reality like I just had this weird set of fake versions of me to compare myself to like I was actually bullied for being ugly 
Um, so I was like, it was a weird thing. And it's funny because now I think that's what so many other people are going through with filters and see like kids growing up with these kind of very perfected filtered versions of themselves. Mm. And for me, that was, that was my upbringing too. Um, and, well, and then I went to university, did law. Um, and when I was studying law, I was still modeling. But I think modeling in London was a bit different um, because it didn't really, again, I didn't really want to model. And I was scouted and told to lose a lot of weight and told to lose like three inches off my hips by this agency that came up to me in Westfield. And I said, no. And then they were like, well, this woman said, I'm going to get fired if you don't do it. So please, can you try? And I was like, Okay, so for the food listeners out there, very difficult to cut three inches off your hips because some random stranger told you to. Um, And yeah, so it was a bit of an interesting time. And but from studying law, I kind of understood how I was being exploited over the time. I like I did some internships with clients I worked for, like big e-commerce companies, and saw my contracts. Um, and I began to realize like maybe I wasn't the problem. <laughs> maybe it was the industry. Um, yeah. went traveling a bit and then started a blog about modeling, which just to try and help other models and get to the same point that I did. Cause I had ended up by that point really kind of not in a good mental health place. Um, just like moving country every five seconds, like couldn't relax. was really obsessed with Instagram. Um, was just chasing my most Instagrammable life around the world really. Um, not advice and then yeah from the outside like my Instagram life looked amazing I was like doing photo shoots on Bondi Beach and had like loads of followers um, but a lot of it was fake like even the followers like me and all my model friends have had like fake followers and like that's all kind of the inside of this world which we don't really realise but and yeah living it was making me so like unhappy so I deleted my Instagram account wrote this book <laughs> wrote the modeling book um it started a blog post for models which was like an a to z but it just ended up being too long for blogs so i turned it into an ebook which turned into a book which turned into being like on the cover of the times and the rain and now the government has set up like a working group to stop exploitation and the whole of the creative industries which is amazing which i kind of sit on that with um, singers like Rebecca Ferguson and the British Film Institute and yeah it's really amazing very not intentional but very great uh, worked in law for a couple of years like mental health law and immigration after that and yeah and I was diagnosed with ADHD at the same time um, so I was 25 and then through that process like learned more and more about like my brain and understand kind of in a similar weird way of being like maybe I'm not the problem <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. it's like the brain wiring or so I wrote this other book about ADHD, which I published last year. And that one's actually being republished now because it's been bought by like a much bigger publisher um, wow. than me, myself. <laughs> yeah. I just put it on so, Amazon. So that's self-published, is it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is that's... literally. So anyone listening, please feel free to contact me to find out how you can publish your own book because it's so easy. <laughs> but like we meet people in my life and that's what it's like for me when people are like you've published a book I'm like oh I literally just wrote some stuff down and put it on Amazon made a cover on Canva and like, people well, it's did it, it. Great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. literally I just wrote that kind of at work um but I had coaching I had ADHD coaching in my old job and it really helped me get that book published and get it finished and get through those kind of barriers because I think actually a lot of things in life like the practical things are quite simple once you get your head around it but it's all the emotional thing like when I published that I literally misspelled ADHD on the cover <laughs> and I put a picture on Instagram <laughs> I was like I've published this book um, and then I realized I've misspelled the title I was like I'm the biggest idiot in the entire universe oh my god and deleted the post like didn't mention it to anyone I'm so embarrassed um like why have I just stamped ADHD on my forehead like <laughs> what is wrong with me and then um but then actually people just bought it anyway for me not even advertising it and it did almost even better than the modeling book um that one ended up like having Microsoft contact me and all these different companies and can you come and talk to us about ADHD which is amazing <laughs> then I become a, an ADHD coach <laughs> So, so, and now, now, so I quit my job like six months ago and now I'm an ADHD coach. 
um, and then also do modeling very ironically, which is <laughs> really busy. <laughs> um, but like really amazing, like working with a really lovely agency and really amazing client. And like it's really nice to be able to do it and know that you don't have to have like I can put the book into practice basically the model manifesto that book was um yeah and the ADHD because I'm kind of rewriting that one with Hatchet my new publisher and then yeah I have the new book which is all about social media and like it's kind of like an anti-exploitation guide for social media which is kind of the things I just mentioned like the fake followers the filters all of this world like objectifying yourself feeling like you're only successful if you've got hundred thousand instagram followers feeling like you need to have a publisher to publish a book like it's all of that because i guess my what i've just told you is uh, proof that that does not need to be the case yeah. at all uh, but also going through it can be really mentally awful and i think it's something we're all going through as a society so absolutely that's me. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, that was long. <laughs> Sorry, you say that's a big scribble, but wow. I mean, what what an achievement to like even be putting that stuff out there and helping so many people. I had goosebumps when you you, you were saying all of that. So it's like <laughs> <laughs> the thing that really stands out to me that you said, which I think is so lovely to hear, is that you realized you weren't the problem. Mm. And I think with so many of the things you've described, especially as women we have this like deep innate belief that we're the problem we're wrong we're not doing it right Mm. and so yeah that really excites me that you've realized you're not the problem and you're helping other people to realize that because I think that's the most damaging thing that we we can be believing as we go through life that we've somehow got it wrong and I think your social media book is very 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 needed (laughs) Uh, maybe I should call it you're not the problem I like that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, mm, the, the current problem that I've got is I keep changing it. <laughs> I keep changing the title. I keep changing it. Actually, randomly met Jamie Oliver last week. He was like, "You should make this book for parents." I was like, "Yes!" So it's now rewriting it all for parents. And now I'm like, "No, we just we just get it back into the stage." It kind of like model manifesto where it can be for anyone. But I do think yeah. it's something that we're all we're all going through, and it's so overwhelming for everyone to experience. But it was kind of like all the yeah, I think that's the main thing is like, actually, people, we all blame ourselves for like this world and just because we feel like we should be able to manage how many people like our posts or whatever, how many followers we've got or how much we use our phone or charge it in a different room, whatever. Like, it's actually, we're all literally being deliberately targeted and exploited by companies that have got the world's best behavioral scientists and billions and billions of pounds. And like, you're not, it's not your fault. Like it's, you're literally being exploited. Yeah. Mm. Before we, we're going to talk a little bit more at the end, if you're allowed to about your book. Yeah. Um, what we wanted to ask you, are you happy to chat a little bit about your ADHD diagnosis and tell us what yeah. was like life like for you before that? And how did things change once you'd been diagnosed? Yeah. Um, so for me, I, when I was at school, I could, could like never concentrate or listen and always thought I was just like really stupid. But then it did make me work really hard at the end of the year because I was like, well, I'm going to fail all my exams because I've not listened all year. And so I did get really good grades because I can write very quickly. And I think with ADHD, it is a kind of aspect of it where you can hyper-focus if you get yourself to the point where you're like very scared <laughs> or very interested suddenly because you're going to fail at life. Um, but my teachers literally said to the whole class, like, did Leanne cheat in her exams? Because how is it possible that she's got four A's? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So I kind of grew up feeling like I was almost cheating by having this brain that couldn't, it didn't quite work like other people's, but I did understand it in a way. And then, yeah, and, and I think the same at university. <laughs> literally didn't go to any lectures or concentrate but I managed to graduate with a law degree <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that's yeah it's just a different form of, like, yeah because I think a lot of people with ADHD of this kind I guess like I think it's like a spectrum you've got people that can't even go to an exam I've very been very very privileged and very fortunate to have been able to like focus like that and be able to pass exams which is just because I can write really quickly and I figured out that actually if I wrote 
they couldn't take marks away. So I would just write every single thing I could remember. <laughs> but a lot of people are not like that. A lot of people, you know, dream of being able to go to university at all if they've got ADHD, because especially for the school system, that support just isn't given. And a lot of people are not in the fortunate place to be able to figure that out for themselves like I was <laughs> well I you know I could figure out the exams but I think mentally as well like I was really struggling throughout school like I was always getting drunk like every single weekend to cope with the mental anxiety um, that I just constantly had like I just constantly felt like always like worried that everyone hated me and like just couldn't think about the future as well um and then yeah and then I think a mentioned was so once I graduated from university then I had to like apply for a job or figure out what to do with my life and that's when my life became really really bad and my ADHD became quite obvious and I think for anyone listening like that is when when your life changes and your structures around you change that's when it might become very obvious it's like because I was waking up and then thinking oh, I need to apply for a job or I need to make a CV and just getting so overwhelmed that I would like go out clubbing <laughs> instead of doing that. So not a great strategy. <laughs> and it was really, and like just kept getting into, I broke up with my boyfriend of five years, like spontaneously overnight and then moved country and then moved country again, moved more like just couldn't stop. And all my friendships got really bad as well. So I was like forever. I was also attracting like not great people, but I was saying, yeah, we'll do this and do this. And, like just not really committing to anyone, just flitting around. Um, so I ended up in Australia, but like very suicidal, very like, um, because it, yeah, because it kind of went from that to the point where I would wake up and be like, what am I going to do with the day? And I was like, I, I don't know, I should just die. <laughs> like every day I was like, eh, actually we should just figure out how to die. Um, which, but then, uh, but then every time I would feel fine. So it was a really weird, um, thing to go from I do think that is like ADHD can go through these roller coasters and I thought I was going completely oh like, I need to be in a mental health hospital but when I would see doctors and talk to them about it they were like oh you're fine they're like you know you've got a law degree you're fine like you're just maybe you've got emotional things that you could talk to a therapist about but um you know they're like you, you you're great you've got your life at your feet really because I keep trying to like figure out how to die so I don't but it's really hard when a doctor is telling you what you do want to hear and you don't want to try and convince them that there's something wrong with you so you do kind of second guess yourself um but it did get to the point where eventually eventually I basically went to a private psychiatrist in England um because things got really, really bad. And I was really, I was about to book a flight to Mexico. <laughs> I was walking around the road being like, I haven't had a fight with someone. I was like, maybe I should just book the flight to Mexico that I found for 250 pounds and I could move to Tulum. And, that one. and I was like, no, do not move to Mexico. <laughs> so I was like, the psychiatrist quit and I said, but that was 400 pounds. Um, and I said, and yeah, and I think the same thing with the internet and Google and social media. Like, so I started Googling my symptoms. And then found like all of the mental health conditions. Like, I talked to a lot of people with ADHD who do this and they're like, I think I've got borderline personality disorder or I think I've got bipolar or I think I've got um, narcissism. And yeah. that was me when I went to this. Like, I was like, I've got every single one of these problems. How is that possible? How does someone have all, all of them? And he, But ADHD wasn't one of them. And he was like, no, you've just got ADHD. <laughs> You're fine. He was like, you've not got anything. Um, and I was like, ADHD isn't a real problem. I was like, no, I've got a real real serious thing and he was like yeah you do <laughs> you got a real serious problem with ADHD yeah. um and then yeah and I was meant to go back so I was like, actually okay fine that's quite a socially acceptable problem to have I'll take it um like give me the medication I was like no we can't just give you the medication you've got to they talk to your family they're meant to talk to your family and friends people that have known you because ADHD is something that's meant to well, it is something that you would have throughout your life but like I mentioned it can show up differently at different times but that's how they diagnose you is by looking like how you were as a child. But in reality, they kind of give you these forms. They said, go and get the forms filled out and come back in two weeks after I had a holiday. So I went on holiday and didn't come back for a year. <laughs> so I came back a year later. I think like, okay, maybe you're right. Um, to get that book published, the model manifesto, I knew that I just wouldn't be able to finish it. And I knew that it was really, really important to finish. So I ended up going back. And that process then was really bad because he was like great cool got ADHD here's some medication and then and had to be another 400 pounds and then he was like and now you know you're gonna have to come here every month and get the medication 
which was £200 to see him and £100 for the medication. Wow. I was like, for how long? And it was like, forever. And I was like, so you want me to pay £300 a month forever when I like didn't have a job? Like, It was really bad. And things were not really getting better anyway. Like The medication helped, but it didn't really change my life because I was still in the environment of making quite bad choices. So, um, but as I went back and said that, he was like, no, you just need to go higher. Um, and my family were all like, this person's just trying to exploit you. But it's like a Harley Street. It's like, like really, so it's a really horrible process to go through because you were kind of like, is this the answer? Is it not the answer? Are they trying to exploit me? Because they are getting a lot of money from me. Like, um, and eventually, I, and I lost a lot of weight. I got really sick from the medication because it was really strong. I lost... I think I was like two stone. I was really, really ill. Wow. I was like gray. Yeah. Like 10 kilograms. I don't know if that's two stone, but basically I got very ill. Um, and then, so I just said to him, I'm going to go off it completely because he'd said that I couldn't go to the NHS because it would take a really long time to like be re-diagnosed. Um, you said seven, um, is it seven years, right? Yeah. To go through this. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, he, he was like, it would take you a really long time, but, and then I just said, well, I have got no choice. I was like, I want you to write me a letter. I'll just do that. Um, and then I went to my doctor, my new GP, which I got with my HD diagnosis. And they were like, yeah, we can continue prescribing you this fine. So actually, and so then they could continue prescribing you the medication for 10 pounds a month. But like that's what private psychiatrists don't tell you. That actually you can go over to that because they're benefiting so much from you coming to them. What's the um, seven-year thing with the NHS? Did it take seven years normally to get a diagnosis through the NHS? Yeah, so this doctor saw me, and then I changed GP like a month later, and the new GP, so yeah, we can continue prescribing you, but they're like, but if you want to change your your medication level, um, then it will take you seven years. So with my old one, I had to get re-diagnosed, like just the confirmation confirm, which took a few months. It wasn't very long, and they didn't do it. They were literally like, yes, you have ADHD, goodbye. Um, <laughs> But the new one, they said, if you want to kind of go through that process again of getting your medication changed for the NHS, and that would be like having an assessment. They said our waiting list for that is seven years long. Wow. That's terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. I was like, people, uh, what do (gasps) seven years? I was like, I would be dead if I had to wait seven years. So I was like, what do people do for seven years? And they're like, well, they're like, we don't. But like it's just that's how long our waiting list is. Um, it's that's so mad. It's yeah, so it's, mad, isn't it? You know, to someone with ADHD in particular, seven years might as well just not exist. Like, yeah, like what seven? Like that's like seven months. You're like, right, that's just not happening right now. Um, so it's not happening. So yeah, so I wrote this book. So I went back to work and like literally wrote the ADHD book that you've got because I was like, at least if that's out there, it's something. Because in that being diagnosed with ADHD isn't necessarily like the solution anyway to a lot of people like just understanding your brain and like because I think even once diagnosed a lot of people get misdiagnosed with different conditions and like they get put on medication that doesn't help them like like me like I went through and they you go into this weird new form of gaslighting yourself and being like are things better is this magic switch gone and that's not necessarily what you need. Like what you need is just to understand your own brain, how it works for you as an individual and like what might help you and how to be okay in a world that's maybe formulated a bit differently. But yeah. And like you said, like realizing you're not the problem. And I think that is the fundamental thing of ADHD, yeah. which is like a lot of people with it will grow up in this world and they think, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so lazy or all of these things, but actually like you're not and it's just the way your brain works and accepting the bits about you that work the best, like amazingly and then figuring out how to make that the rest of your life is like much more valuable than getting a diagnosis or medication in my opinion. But And the, the, the diagnosis is subjective, isn't it? I mean, there's no... Yeah. There's no tests that mm-hmm. can like prove you have ADHD. It's just kind of opinion based, right? Yeah, there's just a list of questions, and so that's like something that I write about a lot in the new book. Because now I'm an ADHD coach, I talk to people every single day that tell me they've been diagnosed from TikTok <laughs> and and or the news, or they read an article, and then they called up because with the pandemic as well, so many people have. Um, got private diagnoses online and paid thousands of pounds and been put on medication. But like, 
they're literally having a Zoom call like this. If someone's asking them questions, then being like, yeah, here's some stimulant medication. But there's like adverts on TikTok that have been taken down on Instagram of they're relating um, ADHD to obesity. And then they're showing them adverts for getting an ADHD diagnosis and getting the medication. Basically implying that people would like, if they don't get diagnosed and take medication, they might become obese and like, it's like someone's body shaming. It's, it's so bad. And then, yeah. And also with social media, obviously like ADHD, anything on social media gets um, put down into these like bite-sized formats. So like, you know, for example, not liking rejection. <laughs> All of us don't like being rejected, but then you put it on social media and a lot of these ADHD kind of Instagram accounts get a lot of interaction because it is very relatable. And then I think that leads on to something else, which is a big thing in the new book, which is um, so researchers of ADHD, they've found some called variable attention stimulus trait, which is when all the symptoms of ADHD are coming up in people because of technology. But it doesn't mean they've got ADHD. It doesn't mean they're born with ADHD but they can't focus. They can't do anything. They can't concentrate because like we're literally being hooked on dopamine hits like all day throughout the day. But that's not really clinically. Yeah. It's not like clinically recognized, but also then you could, you know, I think it's resulting in thousands and thousands of people thinking they've got ADHD or they've got the symptoms of it being diagnosed. And then we've got a society with like seven year waiting lists to get help. But also, I think it's a real big problem for us because, like, ADHD is considered in some situations like a disability. So, like, in the workplace, for example, and <laughs> employers have got like legal obligations to make adjustments, and like, they have schools and universities, and then what do they do if more people have got a diagnosis than those who don't? It's a really interesting, like, place yeah. around in the world. Definitely. Um, just speaking from, so one of my one of my best friends was was diagnosed with ADHD last year and she actually got your book Leanne and reached out to you on Instagram and you sent her a really lovely message back and Aww. she just said how much it helped her but Aww. a massive thing for her was the emotions that bubbled up yeah as you just said kind of going through school and being told she was like misbehaving because she wasn't concentrating and you know she was disruptive um and she, a lot of anger came up for her because she didn't have the support that she could have had if yeah. she was diagnosed as a child, you know? Um, so there must be a lot of that emotion that bubbles up. So what would you kind of say to anyone who is going through a diagnosis or kind of thinks that that's something they want to look into um, especially as adults, because I think, you know, we have a lot, well, it absolutely depends on your circumstances, but in childhood, you might have a little bit more support than going at it alone in later life. Yeah. It's, it's funny to say that I just was talking to a client who was kind of having these emotional outbursts and things, but she was like, is it just my ADHD? And like, you know, they're saying that I should get medication for it because of these outbursts, but actually what about the situation I'm in why should I take medication just to be in that situation yeah and um yeah it's really difficult because it's like should we all medicate ourselves to fit into a normal world yeah what is a normal world yeah yeah should we all be beating ourselves up and I think and I also talk to a lot of um a lot of different ages of people but a lot of funnily enough like teenagers who get diagnosed maybe at 18 or 20 and then they're really angry and they're like if I was diagnosed early it would have been so much better and I'm like I talk to 50 year olds that get diagnosed at like age 50 how amazing is that like then and then I said for me when I was 25 like being diagnosed I'm actually I don't know I think it would have been really interesting to have been diagnosed earlier in life and see what would have been different but I definitely don't think I would have had the life I've had mm. Um, and I coached a, a few kids and they said like being diagnosed actually just makes me think less stupid and like stupid unless I take medication so I think it's really hard because it is a label that um, means something different to everyone yeah definitely I think for people that are looking at a diagnosis now later in life is people that are looking for their own diagnosis it's a really complicated thing and I'm, that I would say read my book <laughs> and I kind of wrote that book saying 
just take what mean what means something to you like don't drive yourself crazy trying to work out if you've got ADHD or not and just I think it's the best way you can approach it by thinking of it like a spectrum like everyone does have traits and I do think if you're at the point where your life is like really really bad so I kind of once you get diagnosed, you see it in everyone. You're like, you've got ADHD, you've got ADHD. Oh, and you get really angry and you're like, why do people miss this? Why does I not? It can be really easy, especially if you've got ADHD and um, where you are prone to overthinking and um, focusing, like hyper-focusing. Literally, that's why I wrote the book. Um, but I think having looking at it more in the spectrum is a bit easier to cope with and then being like ADHD, even if you know, you've got ADHD you haven't got it it's just one part of you it's not who you are and it doesn't suddenly overnight mean that you can't trust yourself or your decisions or your brain it just means like like how I like to think of it is like it's almost like having blue eyes or brown eyes or yeah it's like okay that's just a part of you but it's not who you are um and yeah and I think something I forget sometimes like I thought for someone I was dating had ADHD I'm sure they do have ADHD really annoying for people around them um but for me personally I did forget when I was like oh you've got ADHD you know and you're so forgetful and unorganized it's impacting me um then I realized like actually when I was diagnosed I didn't even have a GP or a doctor um, I didn't have a GP and I didn't have like a place to live and I was quitting my job I didn't have like any relationships with my friends and family like I was constantly fighting with people and quitting things starting things like I was really suicidal like I wanted to die like I was things were not good and I think I do talk to people now that have got diagnosed and they're taking medication stuff from like literally never even having met the doctor that's diagnosed them which is really and like sometimes really powerful really strong medication like much higher than I was prescribed that made me ill um and I think it's really important to know, like, actually, maybe you don't need that. Maybe you don't need this. Well, someone can give you a diagnosis, but maybe you don't need, like, some people I talk to, they've just heard it about on the news and then they think, oh, maybe I have ADHD. And then before they know what they've done, because of the they've booked an appointment with a private psychiatrist and spent 400 pounds. Yeah. Um, and then they're diagnosed and cool. And, like, life, and that's, you know, for me, that was obviously like a really huge, big thing to happen. But when it happens, on zoom when you can just wake up and by the end of the day be spontaneously diagnosed with ADHD which is something you know then you can go and tell your workplace you can disclose it it's like it's a really bizarre um experience to have that can be really condensed on the internet and I think yeah it can be condensed and then really overthought and you can really drive yourself into a hole about it so I think just and finding other people and like but also trying not to let it become uh, your life and, and obsession and just keeping it like like okay that's a really interesting thing to learn about and I understand myself better and how and I'd say reaching out to a coach as well um is a really good thing or people that have got ADHD and talking to them just um, support yeah yeah and there's um yeah as you're as you're saying like it's not a one-size-fits-all approach is it to, to absolutely anything in life really mm-hmm. and there's one little quote in your book I'll just read it if you judge a fish by its ability to ride a bicycle the fish will spend its life thinking that it's stupid I just think that's so great <laughs> yeah it's so true oh God, I spoke to a boy like a couple of weeks ago the one that he was saying oh just because I've been diagnosed means it just means I'm stupid unless I am um, take medication and he just came back from traveling abroad where he'd been playing football professionally he was like 16 and he was saying how all the other kids in his class all get A's and all going to Oxford and I was like how many of those kids have gone to America this weekend to play football like yeah you know that doesn't mean just because you're not getting A's in science doesn't mean that you're not as clever or as successful as other people your age but we just unfortunately are wild like capitalism and stuff it does drive you into these like traits that you're like well why like when I got to 25 I was like why did I even study all the subjects that I studied like I didn't even like them but it was yeah. just to get like a good job and then we like uh, get to the good job and then we're like well I don't even want this life in the first place so where did I get lost along the way but I think getting through to what you like doing and what what feels good for you is a really core cool part of like being happy for anyone's I do worry about that sometimes with mental health diagnoses that 
getting the diagnosis becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you are someone who overthinks and feels quite anxious, being given a diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder can almost make it worse because you're then telling yourself every day, I have anxiety, I have anxiety, I'm a very anxious person. Mm-hmm. And it kind of spirals. And clearly, people who need help need to get help. I'm not, I'm not telling people not to get diagnosed. Not the hell's not real. No, no but yeah. I think no, sometimes I like putting the label on it actually yeah. snowballs it and makes it makes you identify far more with the condition than perhaps might be necessary in some cases. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I think it can make you identify with the condition rather than you. Yeah. And that's what is that it is really difficult because I think like we're in a world where there are obviously like a huge mental health crisis. But like I spoke to a girl about this and she was diagnosed with anxiety when she was eight because she watched the YouTuber Zoella talk about anxiety. And she went to her parents and she's like, got anxiety. And so now she's like, you know, believed forever that she's got generalized anxiety and like wow. can eight-year-olds have anxiety i know her friends have got borderline personality disorder and they're 16 and i'm like is that what you know and they've got bipolar she, all of her friends have got mental health conditions I'm like is that you know that's not it's a different world like if you grow up thinking that then it could become a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way and and i think that's the key thing and that's what i try to do with the book and coaching and stuff is being like Okay, you might have ADHD, autism, bipolar, borderline, whatever. It doesn't mean that that's who you are. Like it just means that's yeah, part of define you. you. Yeah. yeah. And, and everybody has weeks where they feel really anxious or really depressed. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a condition. I think that we have got a bit um, like unable to deal with uncomfortable emotions. And the minute we feel a little bit anxious, we proclaim to the world, I have anxiety. The minute we feel a little bit low, I am depressed. And I think there's a big difference, isn't there, between just the emotions in themselves and actually clinical conditions that need treatment. Exactly. Um, and I, I met a woman yesterday, so I'm just telling you about all the different people talking to, but um, this woman yesterday I met, she had the menopause, she was going for the menopause, and doctors are just trying to give her antidepressants. And they're like, oh, it's just something you have to deal with. And it's like, menopause is not depression so I think there's a real lack of like specialist help out there and then I think I do think actually social media makes people think like I should be happy all the time and then you can really easily google if you're not feeling happy and then (laughs) gives you all of the answers to why you're not feeling happy and then you think like oh yeah I've got all these problems and then it becomes it's like the thoughts all spiral into each other rather than just being able to be like Okay, today I feel unhappy, but tomorrow I'll probably feel fine again. Yeah, definitely. Leanne, you speak a lot about um, having self-compassion. And I think not only is that amazing for anyone who is moving through ADHD or had that diagnosis, but it's also just great for absolutely everyone. Um, And I love that you talk about, uh, I mean, typical in, in some scenarios, um, people with ADHD are usually more compassionate. And I definitely know that to be true for my friends who have been diagnosed. You know, they put other people before themselves in a thousand circumstances. Like if they can help someone, that's that's like they're good. They're mm-hmm. good. Um so it's it's just really nice to hear, well, probably for them to hear that like they are important too and that they are loved as well and supported and can like sit and make sure that they're okay. I think yeah. it was just a really lovely, lovely point. If you can speak for that at all, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole chapter in the book. Um, K is kindness and, and the whole chapter on people pleasing. Because I think, I don't know if it's ADHD, but, um, but I think we're in a culture now where it's all about like, extent like, like what what are we doing for our people or like very you know we get so many emails and texts and we're more accessible than ever before and it's like I, it feels like everyone's feeling very guilty all the time and like we're never doing enough or we're never enough we're never we're a bad friend bad family member whatever um and I think with ADHD as well I think there's something about growing up and in, in this world where you do become very like you're quite bad about yourself 
for not fitting in to the world, whatever. And, and then you do have a lot of compassion for other people and what they're going through who maybe haven't, as we said, like are not so used to these like negative emotions maybe. And then they're like, oh, and I think having been through so many difficult situations, um, it does make you a lot more empathetic to other people, which is a really incredible thing about anyone. <laughs> but yeah, particularly ADHD and like all of the people that I coach, they're all like the most kind, lovely, amazing people that like I would, I literally love to have in my life, but then they don't see, they all are like quite beat themselves up for stuff. And it's like, well, actually, how about we turn it around? Like, what does good friends mean? Like, what do we expect of other people? Yeah. And why are we putting so much pressure on ourselves? And like, I think when we kind of externalize our sense of self and like, like be so kind to other people, then you're really, really prone to burning out, which chapter B is for burnout. Um, but like, yeah, you're really prone to burning out and not having anything to give because you're just so focused on other people and then and then that kind of creates a sort of cycle where you're like oh yeah I'm so good to everyone else why aren't other people being nice to me why I'm why am I bad at everything and then you're living like that and I think it yeah it sounds very cheesy but it does start with being nice to yourself and I think the emotional outburst kind of thing you were talking about earlier I think that in these situations like what I would advise them in that situation where like say you're at school or work or something and you're kind of holding yourself back it's like actually asking yourself actually is that like is it fair like is the situation you're in fair like are you being treated nicely like forget ADHD any kind of label or anything like that but like if, are people being nice to you like if you didn't have ADHD how would the situation be different how are other people going to experience that and like why should you actually be um you know, experiencing it differently to other people. And I think that's, I think that we may be very conditioned to thinking we deserve like not as good treatment. I have with um, the adjustments that like organizations can make, for example, like reasonable adjustments at law to avoid like discriminating against people with ADHD. A lot of people that I coach will refer to it as like special treatment. And they're like, I don't want special treatment. And they're like, well, it's not special treatment. Like a coaching girl that would faint when she had interviews. And she was like, I don't want special in- special treatment. And they're like, what? Other people aren't fainting when they get the interviews. Like, yeah, it's not a special treatment. It's just literally allowing you to have the same platform as other people are able to. And I think that is a really, really crucial thing to remember. Like, it's not, you've not, yeah, you're not like, um, being asked to be treated any differently and like being nice to yourself isn't like a bad thing and actually it's, it allows you to then be able to do the things you want to do which ultimately do help other people but you do have to start with yourself definitely I know Serena is big on big on all this as well and coaches around this too so something yeah. that we speak about quite a lot isn't it yeah self-compassion yeah. queen love it <laughs> yeah yeah and I do think actually being diagnosed with ADHD I think that's the one thing that I would say is the most helpful thing of being diagnosed is like you do it is like having someone say to you okay it's not your fault and, like, yeah. and it's like well it would be great if we could tell ourselves that anyway that's not our fault but like being diagnosed whatever for some reason by a medical professional gives us somehow the ability to think okay maybe I, so maybe I've got like a reason that's not an excuse and I think it's all these things and that's when I think people well that's definitely for me when I started changing my life because instead of beating myself up about not being able to fit in I started being like well actually I don't want to fit in <laughs> actually I would prefer to work with what we've got so like before when I was not diagnosed I was like all I wanted was to get a normal job and I got one. And then I was like, when I was leaving that job, I was like, I didn't want, <laughs> my boyfriend was like, get another job, go and work for the government. I was like, no, I literally don't want any job like that. Ever. It's like, all I want is to work myself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something else you talk in a big way about working for yourself and having your own time, which is very important. Um, Leanne, you have kind of touched on this, but I just want to go back to it for any listeners who are kind of wanting to get a diagnosis who feel like they get a lot of comfort in that what are the direct steps that people can take for that so first I'd say write down and have a look on at my book or the internet at like the questions that you'd be asked and like the symptoms 
and write down how they resonate to you um, and kind of maybe examples throughout your life with like specific situations. For example, not being able to concentrate at school um, or kind of having trouble like making spontaneous decisions that maybe weren't very good for you looking back. All of these kind of things, write them all down and then go to your doctor and say, I think I've got ADHD. Um, here are a list of reasons why. And then your doctor will refer, because you can't be diagnosed by a doctor, normal GP. They should refer you on to a specialist to assess you, which as I say, it can take years or it can take months or it can take weeks. <laughs> Unlikely. Um, but you know, it might take quite a long time. However, it is, that is like, kind of your first box-funded route is do that. Um, and they could say no. They could say we don't want to. Like, we've heard doctors saying, like, no, disagreeing. And in that case, I'd really recommend reaching out to uh, ADHD UK. It's a really great charity. And they've got all these amazing, like, legal resources and kind of letters that you can send to your GP that say, no, actually, I would like to be referred on. And the same with, because um, there's even been situations where people have been diagnosed by a specialist and then their GP doesn't accept the diagnosis. <laughs> so in that case, I would, again, recommend reaching out to ADHD UK and dropping them an email because they're really, really great at supporting people. And then also there's, I would say when you get, when they do this, ask them to refer you to Psychiatry UK there's a right to choose so you, everyone's got legal right to choose which I only found out about from reading this book but you, there's actually this thing called Psychiatry UK where you can be diagnosed kind of in a much quicker way because they work online and it's like a kind of online network of approved psychiatrists for the NHS they are now booked up before it would take like months now they have reached full capacity themselves so it might take even longer with them but it's really, really, really amazing to know about that. And again, ADHD UK, they've got a lot of really helpful letters and stuff like that. If your GP is like, no, I'm not going to. Like, give them one of these letters because it is your literal legal right to choose which um, assessor you're referred to. So do that. Um, and then, yeah, and then you get diagnosed. You'd have the assessment. But in the meantime, I would say your other options, obviously, like going out to private psychiatrists and paying money and there are some better ones than others. And something I would say, actually, maybe when reaching out to them is ask how many people leave without being diagnosed. And I think particularly for parents with their kids, because I think a lot of them will go to psychiatrists and like, you don't know how many, how many people do they say like, you haven't got ADHD too? Like mm. what percentage of their clients do they actually say no? Because I, don't know, I, I would like, I would be very interested to know that by a lot of private psychiatrists because they would, how would that change possible. how would that change things for you to know that well I know for example I know one person that went to a psychiatrist they went to my one actually and the guy said to him that he didn't have ADHD and well I think he said there's no point in diagnosing you of anything because you you know you've coped until this stage in your life fine then he's like you don't have it my yeah like the person thought they had ADHD they, have, they wrote my book and then the psychiatrist said, no, you're fine. But that conversation really helped that person. Right. But for me, I think that was really, that was quite helpful for me to hear because I was like, oh, that means maybe they weren't just trying to get money out of me. Yeah. Because if you, you know, for, if you're a psychiatrist and you've got someone that's coming to you saying, I think I've got this problem, which kind of like me as a coach, this is what I always say to people, like, if you don't want coaching or like try, you know, have a chat with me but like if you don't don't 100% resonate with me don't do coaching because if you you know I could like coach someone and be like yes you need a million hours of coaching forever but it's not really a long-term thing forever it's meant to just give people the strategies and solutions and they go away and do it themselves um but if you are a private psychiatrist the ability to literally make you know at least a thousand pounds and then 300 pounds a month out of a person forever that's obviously quite a big thing so if you wanted to just get money like that's a really easy option so I think knowing that there are people that they say no you don't meet this re requirements like no and they're actually considering what you're saying instead of just like being like yeah cool here you go this medication is a really important thing because it will make you trust diagnosis ultimately a lot more um which is what's really important so yeah and I think that's really good and I think reaching out to like ADHD Okay, and also um, the place that I coach for the ADHD advocate, 
they've got a kind of online community called ADHD Unlocked, which has got like webinars, all these really amazing webinars on all these different topics and um, like online courses and stuff. And then sessions, like focus sessions and like opportunities to meet other people with ADHD and talk to them and like actually practically work on the challenges that you might be experiencing. So that means that, you know, you're actually kind of taking action because I do think it can be really paralyzing when you, when you're just like put on a waiting list and you're like, now what do I do? Like, but you can't. And, and also read the book, read the ADHD book because that's why I wrote it for people in that position. Um, and yeah, maybe do coaching, like ADHD coaching is, I think it, that is really what helped me the most out of anything as well. Okay, amazing. Thank you. That's loads of really good info for anybody who needs it. Um, Leanne, before we finish can you remember what your healthy habit was? Something that you do every day or every week to boost your mental and physical well-being? No. <laughs> you gave us quite a lot, to be honest. Oh, really? <laughs> there we go. That's why. I'll, I'll tell them doing that. Yoga? Did I say doing yoga? Yeah. I have a new one every week. So, so you said doing hot yoga. If you don't oh, yeah. make it to the gym or exercising, then journaling. And then your amazing smart water bottle that lights up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds I awesome. I want a smart water, water bottle. I do still have it. This is another kind of, I would also say, if, if anyone's listening thinks they have ADHD and they're like, I should buy a smart water bottle or I should buy a smart watch, all these things, like they work for a while and then you just ignore them. <laughs> So I do have the water bottle still, which is a good thing because I kept losing the water bottles. But And I did get very obsessed with it for one week and now I don't know where it is. It's somewhere <laughs> in there. Because I've got a GPS tracker for it, but I no wow. longer am so obsessed with it. Yeah, it's really amazing. It, but it's like 50 pounds because I was like, this is what I'm like, I just need one that I can follow it and that I pay a lot of money for so then I'm not going to lose it and I won't actually care about it. I did, I did care about it. <laughs> anyway, so that's one of my habits. So, I mean, I kind of pick habits each week that are the habit of the week. Things that work for you. That's my habit. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, we've never had drinking water before on the podcast. I think it's, you know, it's one of the one of the most important healthy habits of all. (laughs) Yeah, I think especially with the coaching, I try to be like, okay, if that's not working for you anymore, like find a new one. Mm -hmm. Don't beat yourself up about not being able to do the same thing anymore. Just figure out what you want to do. Be adaptable. Yeah. Leanne, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I know like from my own experience, very, very minimal experiences, this has been really enlightening. Um, and yeah, I was, I was really keen to speak to you for such a long time, even with your, your work with the Model Manifesto and then all of this and excited to get stuck into a new book. Are we allowed to hear when it's out? When I finish it, that's <laughs> <laughs> the best time. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, it should it should be out like in the next month or so. Oh wow! I'm trying to finish it. See, yeah, wow, yeah. Uh, Thank you so so much for coming on today, Leanne. It's been so amazing to meet you. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so, so much, Leanne. What a brilliant episode. It was so lovely to meet her and to learn a lot more about ADHD because I don't feel like that many people know about it at the moment. Yeah. she. I mean, I was just gobsmacked at how, which is probably just how her mind works, that she just saw her work, her work as this big kind of scribble and she's literally changing so many things and helping so many people. So... Yeah, I feel very um, privileged that she spoke to us today. So thank you, Leanne. If you have, if no, if you want the recipe for today's episode, then please head over to our Instagram at Kitchen Club Podcast. Um, the delicious chocolate chili, chocolate chili with coconut yogurt and crispy kale. Um, and we'll also leave all of Leanne's info in the show notes below this episode if you want to go and check her out. She is really brilliant and yeah, worth worth investigating. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Hi. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 